0: CHAPTER NUMBER 6 OF THE FROZEN PIRATE This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Matthew The Frozen Pirate by William Clark Russell An Island of Ice I had to approach the coast within two miles before I could satisfy my mind of its nature, and then all doubt left me. It was ice, a mighty crescent of it, as was now in a measure gatherable, floating upon the dark blue waters like the new moon upon the field of the sky. For a great while I had struggled with my misgivings, so tyrannically will hope lord it even over conviction itself until it was impossible for me to any longer mistake. And then, when I knew it to be ice, I asked myself what other thing I expected it should prove, seeing that this ocean had been plentifully navigated since Cook's time and no land discovered where I was. And I called myself a fool and cursed the hope that had cheated me, and in short, gave way to a violent outburst of passion and was indeed so wild with grief and rage, that had my ecstasy been but a very little greater, I must have jumped overboard. So great was my loathing of life then, and the horror the sight of the ice filled me with. Indeed, you cannot conceive how shocking to me was the appearance of that great gleaming length of white desolation. On the deck of a stout ship, sailing safely past it, I should have found the scene magnificent. I doubt not, for the sun, being low with westering, shone redly, and the range of ice stood in a kind of gold atmosphere which gave an extraordinary richness to the shadowings of its rocks and peaks, and a particular fullness of mellow whiteness to its lustrous parts. Softening the dazzle into an airy tenderness of brightness, so that the whole mass shone, out with the blandness visible in a glorious star. But its main beauty lay in those features by which I knew it to be ice, I mean in a vast surprising variety of forms, such as steeples, towers, columns, pyramids, ruins as it might be of temples, grotesque shapes as of mighty statues left unfinished by the hands of titans, domes as of cathedrals, castellated heights fragments of ramparts, and the like. These features lay in groups, as if veritably the line of coast were dotted with gatherings of royal mansions and remains of imperial magnificence, all of white marble, yet with a glassy tincture as though the material owned something of a Parian quality. I had to come within two miles, as I have said, before these elegancies broke upon me so deceptively did their delicacy of outlines mingle with the dark-blue softness beyond in places the coast ran up to a height of two or three hundred feet in others it sloped down to twenty feet for some miles it was like the face of a cliff a sheer abrupt with scarce a scar upon its front staring with a wild bald look over the frosty beautiful blue of that afternoon sea here and there it projected a forefoot, some white and massive rock, upon which the swell of the ocean burst in thunder, and flew to almost the height of the cliff in a very great and glorious fury of foam. In other parts, where I suspected a sort of beach, there was a the silver tremble of surf. But in the main, the heave coming out of the northeast, the fold swept the base of the ice without froth. I say again beheld in the red sunshine that line of ice resembling a coast of marble defined in a liquid junction of the swelling folds of sapphire below and the moist violet of the eastern sky beyond and over it crowned at points with delicate imitations of princely habitations would have offered a noble and magnificent spectacle to a mind at ease but to my eyes its enchantments were killed by the horror i felt it was a lonely hideous waste rendered the more shocking by the consideration that the whole vast range was formed of blocks of frozen water which warmth would dissolve that it was a country as solid as rock and as unsubstantial as a cloud to be shunned by the mariner as though it was death's own pavilion the estate and mansion of the grisly spectre, and creating round about it as supreme a desolation and loneliness of ocean as that which reigned in its own white stillness. Though I held the boat's head, for it I was at a loss, in so much confusion of mind that I knew not what to do. I did not doubt by the character of the swell that its limits in the northeast extended only to the sensible horizon. In other words, that its extremity there would not be above five miles distant, though to what latitude its southern arm did curve was not to be conjectured. Should I steer north and seek to go clear of it? Somehow, the presence of this similitude of land made the sea appear as enormous as space itself, whilst it was all clear horizon the immensity of the deep was in a measure limited to the vision by its cincture. But this ice-line gave the eye something to measure with, and when I looked at those leagues of frozen shore, my spirit sank into deepest dejection at the thought of the vastness of the waters in whose heart I floated in my little boat. However, I resolved at last to land if landing was possible. I could stretch my limbs Recruit myself by exercise, and might even make shift to obtain a night's rest. I stood in desperate need of sleep, but there was no repose to be had in the boat. I durst not lie down in her. If nature overcame me, and I fell asleep in a sitting posture, I might wake to find the boat capsized, and myself drowning. This consideration resolved me, and by this time, being within half a mile of the coast, I ran my eye carefully along it to observe a safe nook for my boat to enter and myself to land in. Though for a great distance, as I have said, the front of the cliff, and where it was highest too, was a sheer fall, coming like the side of a house to the water, that part of the island towards which my boat's head was pointed, sloped down and continued in a low shore, with hummocks of ice upon it, at irregular intervals, to where it died out in the north-east. I now saw that this part had a broken appearance, as if it had been violently rent from a mainland of ice. Also, to my approach, many ledges projecting into the sea stole into view. There were ravines and gorges, and almost on a line with the boat's head was an assemblage of those delicate glass-like counterfeits of spires towers and the like of which i have spoken standing just beyond a brow whose declivity fell very easily to the water to make you see the picture as i have it in my mind would be beyond my art it is not in the pen not in the brush either i should think to convey even a tolerable portraiture of the ruggedness the fairy grouping the shelves hollows crags terraces Prespices and beach of this kingdom of ice where its frontal line broke away from the smooth face of the tall reaches and ran with a ploughed scarred and serrated countenance northwards very happily i had insensibly steered for perhaps the safest spot that i could have lighted on this was formed of a large projection of rock standing aslant so that the swell rolled past it without breaking. The rock made a sort of cove towards which I sailed in full confidence that the water there would be smooth. Nor was I deceived, for I saw that the rock acted as a breakwater, whose stilling influence was felt a good way beyond it. I thereupon steered for the starboard of this rock, and when I was within it, found the heave of the sea dwindled to a scarce perceptible undulation, whereupon I lowered my sail, and standing to the oar sculled the boat to a low lump of ice onto which I stepped. My first business was to secure the boat. This I did by inserting the mast into a deep, thin crevice in the ice, and making the painter fast to it as to a pole. The sun was now very low, and would soon be gone. The cold was extreme, yet I did not suffer from it as in the boat. There is a quality in snow which it would be ridiculous to speak of as warmth. Yet, as you may observe after a heavy fall ashore on top of a black frost, it seems to have a power of blunting the sharp edge of the cold, and the snow on the shore of ice, being very abundant, though frozen as hard as the ice itself, Appeared to mitigate the intolerable rigour I had languished under upon the water, in the brig, and afterwards. This might also be owing to the dryness of the cold. Having secured the boat, I beat my hands heartily upon my breast, and fell to pacing a little level of ice whilst I considered what I should do. The coast I cannot but speak of this frozen territory as land went in a gentle slope behind me to the height of about thirty feet. The ground was greatly broken with rocks and boulders and sharp points, whence I suspected many fissures in which the snow might not be so hard but that I might sink deep enough to be smothered. I saw no cave nor hollow that I could make a bedroom of, and the improved circulation of my blood giving me spirits enough to resolve quickly I made up my mind to use my boat as a bed. So I went to work. I took the oar and jammed it into such another crevice as the mast stood in, and to it I secured the boat by another line. This moored her very safely. There was as good promise of a fair quiet night as I might count upon in these treacherous latitudes. The haven in which the boat lay was sheltered and the water almost still. And this, I reckoned, would hold whilst the breeze hung northerly and the swell rolled from the north I spread the sail over the seats, which served as beams for the support of this little ceiling of canvas, and enough of it remained to supply me with a pillow and to cover my legs. I fell to this work whilst there was light, and when I had prepared my habitation, I took a bottle of ale and a handful of victuals ashore, and made my supper, walking briskly whilst I ate and drank. I caught myself sometimes looking yearningly towards the brow of the slope, as though from that eminence I should gain an extensive prospect of the sea, and perhaps behold a ship. But I wanted the courage to climb, chiefly because I was afraid of tumbling into a hole and miserably perishing and likewise because I shrank from the idea of being overtaken up there by the darkness. There was a kind of companionship in the boat, the support of which I should lose if I left her. The going of the sun was attended by so much glory that the whole weight of my situation and the pressure of my solitude did not come upon me until his light was gone the swell ran athwart his mirroring in lines of molten gold. The sky was a sheet of scarlet fire where he was, paling zenithwards into an ardent orange. The splendour tipped the frozen coast with points of ruby flame which sparkled and throbbed like sentinel beacons along the white and silent range. The low thunder of far-off hills of water bursting against the projections rolled sulkily down upon the weak wind. Just beyond the edge of the slope, about a third of a mile to the north of my little haven, stood an assemblage of exquisitely airy outlines. Configurations such as I have described, their crystalline nature, stole out to the lustrous colouring of the glowing west, and they had the appearance of tinted glass, of several dyes of red, the delicate fibres being deep of hue the stouter ones pale, and never did the highest moon of human invention reach to anything more glorious and dainty, more sweetly simulative of the arts of the fairy-like imagination than yonder cluster of icy fabrics, fashioned, as it entered my head to conceive, as pavilions by the hands of the spirits of the frozen world, and gilt and painted by the beams of the setting sun." But all this wild and unreal beauty melted away to the oncoming of the dusk, and when the sun was gone and the twilight had put a new quality of bleakness into the air, when the sea rolled in a welter of dark shadows, one sombre fold shouldering another, a very swarming of restless giant phantoms, when the shining of the stars lowed down in the unfathomable obscurity of the north and south quarters gave to the ocean in those directions a frightful immensity of surface, making you feel as though you viewed the scene from the centre of the firmament, and were gazing down the spangled slopes of infinity. Oh, then it was that the full spirit of the solitude of this pale and silent seat of ice took possession of me. I found a meaning I had not before caught in the complaining murmur of the night breeze blowing in small gusts along the rocky shore and in the deep organ-like tremulous hum of the swell thundering miles distant on the northward-pointing cliffs. This was a note I had missed whilst the sun shone. Perhaps my senses were sharpened by the darkness. It mingled with the booming of the bursts of water on this side of the range and gave me to know that the northward extremity of the island did not extend so far as I had supposed from my view of it in the boat. Yet I could also suppose that the beat of the swell formed a mighty cannonading capable of making itself heard afar, and the ice being resonant with many smooth if not polished tracts upon it readily transmitted the sound, yes, that the cause of it lay as far off as the horizon i will not say that my loneliness frightened me but it subdued my heart with a weight as if it were something sensible and filled me with a sort of consternation that was full of awe the moon was up but the rocks hid the side of the sea she rode over and her face was not to be viewed from where i was until she had marched two-thirds of her path to the meridian. The coast ran away on either hand in cold motionless blocks of pallor, which further on fell, by deception of the sheen of the stars, into a kind of twisting and snaking glimmer, and you followed it into an extraordinarily elusive faintness that was neither light nor colour in the liquid gloom long after the sight had outrun the visibility of the range. At intervals, I was startled by sounds, sometimes sullen, like a muffled subterranean explosion, sometimes sharp, like a quick splintering of an iron-hard substance. These noises I presently gathered were made by the ice stretching and cracking in 50 different directions. The mass was so vast and substantial you could not but think of it as a country with its foot resting upon the bed of the sea. T'was a folly of my nerves, no doubt, yet it added to my consternation to reflect that this solid territory, reverberating the repelled blows of the ocean swell, was as much afloat as my boat, and so much less actual than my boat, that could it be towed a few degrees further north It would melt into pouring waters and vanish as utterly with its little cities of columns, steeples, and minarets as a wreath of steam upon the air. This gave a spirit-like character to it, in my dismayed inquiring eyes, which was greatly increased by the vagueness it took from the dusk. It was such a scene, methought, as the souls of seamen drowned in these seas might flock to and haunt. The white and icy spell upon it wrought in familiar things. The stars looking down upon me over the edge of the cliffs were like the eyes of shapes, easy to fashion out of the darkness, kneeling up there and peering at the human intruder who was pacing his narrow floor of ice for warmth. The deceit of the shadows proportioned the blanched ruggedness of the cliff's face on the north side into heads and bodies of monsters i beheld a giant from his waist up leaning his cheek upon his arm a great cross with a burlesque figure as of a friar kneeling near it a mighty helmet with a white plume curled the shadowy confirmation of a huge crescent beast with a hundred other such unsubstantial prodigies had the moon shone in the west i dare say i should have witnessed a score more such things for the snow was like white paper on which the clear black shadows of the ice rocks could not but have cast the likeness of many startling fantasies i sought to calm my mind by considering my position and to divert my thoughts from the star apparitions of the broken slopes i asked myself what should be my plans what my chance for delivering myself From this unparalleled situation at this distance of time i cannot precisely tell how long the provisions i had brought from the foundering brig were calculated to last me but i am sure i had not a week's supply this then made it plain that my business was not to linger here but to push into the ocean afresh as speedily as possible for to my mind nothing in life was clearer and that my only chance lay in my falling in with the ship. Yet how did my heart sink when I reflected upon the mighty breast of sea in which I was forlornly to seek for succour? My eyes went to the squab, black outline of the boat, and the littleness of her sent a shudder through me. It is true she had nobly carried me through some fierce weather, yet at the expense of many leagues of southing of a deeper penetration into the solitary wilds of the polar waters. However, I was sensible that I was depressed, melancholy, and under a continued consternation, something of which the morning sun might dissipate, so that I should be able to take a heartier view of my woeful plight. So after a good look seawards, and at the heavens to satisfy myself on the subject of the weather, And after a careful inspection of the moorings of the boat, I entered her, feeling very sure that if a sea set in from the west or south and tumbled her, the motion would quickly arouse me, and getting under the roof of the sail, with my legs along the bottom and my back against the stem, which I had bolstered with the slack of the canvas, I commended myself to God, folded my arms, and went to sleep. End of chapter six.